0: Out-of-state doctors are remote-treating patients in Arizona, but what are the limitations and will this actually be the future of medicine? Professor Katherine Van Tassel from Case Western Reserve University School of Law joins us. I'm Lawrence Clutty, and this is Legal Talk Today. Welcome back, listeners. Hope you're having a great day out there wherever you might be. We've got an interesting episode about the possible future of medicine coming up. But first, we need to thank our sponsor, Noda. Noda is powered by m Bank because you went to law school to be a lawyer, not an accountant. Take advantage of Noda, a no-cost IOLTA management tool that helps solo and small law firms track client funds, down to the penny. Visit trustnota.com forward slash legal to learn more. And that's notice spelled N-O-T-A. And remember, terms and conditions may apply. Okay. Let's say hello to our guest, Professor Catherine Van Tassel from Case Western Reserve University's School of Law. Welcome to the show.
1: I'm so glad to be here, Lawrence. Thank you for inviting me.
0: <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So, you yeah, know, this was a, a real exciting uh, article that uh, my, my producer, Molly McDonough, she really has been picking out some really good articles lately. And she wanted to talk about uh, telemedicine and I was really fascinated by it. And so, you know, we're gonna get into this new law in Arizona and get into the details. But I had a quick question for you about its current status. Now, I understand that it was put into place as HB245, for, but is it now live and active in Arizona as we speak?
1: Oh, yes. This is what's so interesting is that the governor used an emergency provision to allow the law to go into effect immediately upon his signature. So what happened is he signed it. At the same time, the executive orders that had been in place that the law basically codified were taken away. And this law is live and it's in action as we speak.
0: Now, it had, they had a little bit of an opportunity to uh, try this out because, as I understand from its history, a similar regulation started off as an executive order during the pandemic to address remote medical needs. So let's talk about that history and then we'll get into some of the specifics about the law.
1: Yeah, yeah. So like like all of us across the country, we're all aware that um, in March of 2020, a public health state of emergency was declared to deal with the COVID-19 pandemic. And uh, the governor in Arizona, immediately after declaring that public health emergency, began thinking about the problems that people were going to have by staying at home when they still needed to get access to health care. So the governor quickly issued a series of executive orders requiring that insurers cover telemedicine visits at the same cost as in-person visits, allow a patient's home to be an improved location to receive telemedicine, and expanded the types of healthcare providers able to utilize tele- telemedicine. So there was a lot that was in place before this law actually came to be implemented.
0: Now, before this law went into place and before the executive orders, what was the regulatory environment like for telemedicine in the state of Arizona?
1: well, you know, this law is pretty darn exciting. Um, And and I I see this in basically six major ways. I think one of the first things that he did to change the landscape in Arizona is that it expanded the definition of remote care from just telemedicine, which is live remote care by a physician, to all telehealth, which includes remote monitoring, asynchronous data collection, and the use of other technologies. And that's pretty exciting because I think as everyone is aware, these new technologies are coming onto the market gosh, almost every single day. The second big thing that happened is before this law, the insurance couldn't deny reimbursement for remote physician visits, but they sure could provide a far lesser reimbursement amount, and they could outright deny coverage for other healthcare professionals. Now, this law ensures that equal compensation from insurance companies for all telemedicine services, all healthcare providers are required. Another big change, and this is an important one here, it allows for over-the-phone audio-only telehealth visits under some circumstances and parity for over-the-phone audio-only behavioral health and substance abuse. And we all know that a large percentage of our elders and low-income individuals don't have internet uh, access. So this was a big one. And then just uh, a couple more that I think we should Uh, be aware of, is that telehealth can now be provided regardless of where a patient is located, and it allows out-of-state healthcare professionals to provide telemedicine in Arizona. Now, I'm not sure that this provision as written is going to translate into as big a change as some might hope, but it's still a big step forward.
0: So what you're saying is before this law came into place, if you're an out-of-state physician and say it predated COVID, you were not allowed to have a remote, I guess, a remote uh, medical consultation with the patient inside of Arizona.
1: That's correct. You actually had to be licensed to practice medicine in the state of Arizona to provide care to Arizona citizens. So no telemedicine from out-of-state.
0: Now, you mentioned that this new regulation allows for a consultation over the phone. Uh, I'm assuming it allows it over Zoom or whatever secured web portal a doctor might have as associated with their office. But, um, you know, in terms of what the doctor has to bring to the table in terms of regulations and requirements, uh, do they need to be certified to do this? How does it work?
1: Well, so if you're talking about in-state right at this point there is there aren't any additional requirements as long as you're licensed to practice medicine or any other healthcare provider by the way you can provide a remote visit inside the state of Arizona to your own Arizona patients there has been a, an advisory committee set up by this legislation and they're going to be starting to roll out some regulations that are going to give some guidance on best practices so right now there doesn't there don't seem to be many limits on those people who are uh, providing health care within the state of Arizona. Now, out of state is a different, a uh, whole different kettle of fish.
0: Okay. Now, what's the, what are the requirements for an out of state practitioner to, uh, to basically remote into Arizona and help a patient there?
1: the new law on its face appears to greatly expand the ability of of out-of-state doctors to treat Arizona residents or the snowbirds in Arizona, but practically its effect is likely to be far narrower. So what the requirements, uh, among many others, is that the out-of-state doctor has to register to practice in Arizona and also has to agree to be sued in Arizona if that doctor has been accused of, of committing malpractice, and the doctor has to be bound by Arizona's laws and its standard of care, and I wonder if out-of-state doctors will want to risk the possibility of having to travel to Arizona for a long jury trial. Also, out-of-state doctors are going to have to pay to expand their liability insurance to cover being sued in Arizona, and medical malpractice is very expensive. On the other hand, the big for-profit companies like Amazon and Walmart, who are moving into the telemedicine space in a big way, are the ones who are most likely to take advantage of this ability to provide telehealth in Arizona. And this could cut into the business of small town doctors in more rural areas. Also, just one more group of physicians who are likely to take advantage of this include those who work at major Arizona hospital systems that have hospitals located out of state. They may also be willing to show their, the additional costs of these requirements in order to be able to tap into the expertise of their own out-of-state expert specialists. So the bottom line is I see the biggest benefit of this new legislation to in-state providers in their patients.
0: You know, the the long-held tradition of these uh, in-person medical consultations, the benefit of them is that the doctor got to see the patient interact with the patient, and from that can extrapolate a lot of uh, understanding as to what's going on with the given patient while they're consulting with their doctor. Now, in this kind of remote scenario, you know, there are limitations. You might be able to see and hear someone through Zoom, but you're not getting the entire picture, and if you're talking about a phone consultation, you're missing a lot of information simply by not being able to see your patient. And so obviously there's no surgeries that are coming from this remote telemedicine, but uh, are these full offerings, are they allowed to do the full gamut of medical consultations as they would normally do if the patients say were in their office in person?
1: There's a lot of uncertainty that comes with that. Right at this point, per the legislation, all services that normally would be covered by insurance for an in-person visit has to be covered by the insurance company for remote telehealth. Now, interestingly enough, the statute doesn't curtail the ability of the physicians or other healthcare providers from providing care to their patients. The statute really focuses in on insurance reimbursement. And so what it says is, it says that insurance companies have to pay for a remote visit, just like they would for an in-person visit, unless, and there's the kicker, that unless, unless the weight of the evidence or the advisory committee state that this kind of provision of care is inappropriate under the circumstances. And of course, we know that healthcare providers want to and need to be paid, right, And this is going to create some level of uncertainty for a a certain period of time until that advisory committee can really get its feet on the ground and start issuing guidances to industry to uh, help the practitioners. And that concludes a broad swath of practitioners to give them some guidance on what they can provide by virtue of telemedicine and, and what they should not, and so right now, Lawrence, is it? It's really up to the good judgment of the practitioner, and sometimes they're going to get it right, and sometimes they may get it wrong.
0: Now, I'm sure this uh, particular law had both its supporters and its critics, and I'm sure they, they had many arguments about whether or not uh, this particular regulation was a good idea or this particular law was a good idea. In terms of what you heard, you know, what were some of the more convincing pros and cons as to whether or not to allow telemedicine under this format?
1: Oh, yeah. The, the the obvious big benefit is increased access to care, uh, particularly for those people who have chronic conditions like diabetes and heart conditions. This transition from the word telemedicine to telehealth allows the at-home monitoring of these people with chronic conditions of their, for example, their blood glucose level if they're a diabetic or their blood pressure if they've got a heart condition. This also benefits individuals who struggle with the costs associated with trying to get into a doctor's office for example the cost of healthcare care or missed work or the cost of transportation and a big one also right now is the decrease in infection risks from covid and of course from flu for those people who are immunosuppressed completely you know in in a big way post-operative patients etc now the cons you know there's some, there's some cons out there the foreseeable risks as you mentioned remote exams have inherent limits the doctor's got to use their judgment as to when to call that patient in to the office and get further information. Increased cyber liability for data hackers. If, in fact, for example, you got a hacker, the hacker gets into your system and your whole system crashes for days, there could be increased um, uh, liability claims for harm from delayed care. Privacy issues is the software you're using and the hardware you're using HIPAA compliant. And of course, the 50% of our seniors have no internet access, as I mentioned before. What's surprising is the data is showing that our seniors are are taking to their mobile devices uh, in a big way. A lot of folks said that this was gonna be a a big concern, but it isn't as big a concern as as folks had predicted. The last concern, and this is just something that I've been thinking about, and I haven't really seen it in the literature, But our healthcare providers are, in many cases, the first responders who can identify vulnerable children or elders who are being abused and individuals who are human trafficking victims. And my concern, and I just haven't heard anyone speak to this directly, what can be done to ameliorate this risk is the use of telehealth, particularly audio telehealth, will allow abusers and traffickers to hide their abuse. So those are the pros and cons, lots of pros. And I think this is indeed, as you said in your intro, the future of medicine.
0: Yeah, you You mentioned earlier a little bit about uh, you know insurance plans covering this uh, this type of doctor visit. You also got into a little bit of the malpractice. you know an out- of state doctor who wishes to practice inside of Arizona needs to carry uh, a policy inside of Arizona. But what about just the additional, I guess the additional vector of risk associated with you know this patient is not in your office. You don't have all of the information. Is there has there been any talk about increasing the rates or maybe adding a rider to any given malpractice insurance policy to allow this type of uh, this type of office or non-office visit, as the case may be?
1: Yeah, this is critically important for all practitioners. And this, this legislation, by the way, expands the ability uh, for the use of remote uh, health care into you know, all advanced practice registered nurses, psychologists, speech and occupation therapists, physical therapists, physician's assistants, et cetera. And so for all of those folks, they really need to, they, they should not assume that their malpractice insurance is going to cover telehealth care. They should look at their policy very carefully. They should call their policy provider. And maybe, as you mentioned, maybe what they need to do is they actually need to get a rider or get something in writing that the telemedicine, even just within the state of Arizona, will be covered by their malpractice insurance. Now, of course, if you're out of state, you need to be thinking about being sure that you have coverage in the state of Arizona most malpractice insurance policies only cover the state in which you practice. And so you're going to need to expand your liability coverage to uh, cover uh, Arizona. And that means you're going to need to contact, you need to see if your insurer is actually licensed to provide insurance in the state of Arizona. And for many practitioners, they're going to need to move, in order to be able to do this, they're going to need to move their carrier from their local carrier to a national carrier that has coverage that supplies coverage in multiple different states. And once again, that's going to be an expense, a startup expense that physicians need to be aware of.
0: All right. Well, last question for you, Professor, you know, now that uh, Arizona's got a pretty good look at this and and they've moved forward and and they seem to be pretty comfortable with this uh, new type of non-office doctor visit. Are there other states that have been looking at this thinking it's also a good idea? Are there some other states out there considering this?
1: Oh, yeah. There's a big political push for the telemedicine opportunities that have been provided during the pandemic to continue on after the pandemic is over. None that are as far reaching as Arizona. For example, in New York, Governor Cuomo is proposing to make some of the state's expansions permanent, for example, to require Medicaid telehealth reimbursement for services, regardless of where the patient or the provider is located, to develop interstate licensing reciprocity for states in the Northeast region, which is far narrower than Arizona, and then to continue, importantly, COVID-19 flexibilities for mental health and substance use disorder services. In Massachusetts, a law was passed this year mandating that insurance cover virtual behavioral health services at the same rate as in-person services and requires rate parity for primary care and chronic disease management services for two years. The problem with these is that um, is that the Massachusetts statute allows for the insurance carrier to require pre-authorization, which can be a real barrier to care. So those are the two big states that are moving in this direction, but simply not anywhere near the level of support that telemedicine and telehealth
0: is getting in Arizona. Well, Professor, I really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you so much for joining us.
1: Yes, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much.
0: And thank you, listeners, for tuning in. We appreciate the time you invest with us, and we hope you enjoyed today's episode. Also, one more thank you to our sponsor, Nota. You can find them at TrustNoda.com forward slash legal. That's Noda spelled N-O-T-A. And last but never least, thank you to our team, producer Molly McDonough and our LTN Audio crew for making the best audio widgets. This has been Legal Talk Today. I'm Lawrence Coletti. Have a great day, everybody.